In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Sometimes it honestly blows my mind a little bit that it's barely been two years since Canada legalized recreational pot. It feels like it's been a decade, and not just because of 2020. It's kind of amazing, though maybe not that surprising, how quickly a drug policy that had been a divisive political issue for almost my entire life just became normal. Drug policies, when they change, have a way of doing that. The people, after all, are using the drugs anyway. So removing the criminality from them doesn't actually change that much, except for the lives of those people who would otherwise be breaking the law. But as you might know, it's not recreational pot that's killing thousands of Canadians. There's a much bigger drug problem. So is the easier way you can stop? His eyes are open. This is one of a few thousand overdoses BC paramedics have been responding to each month. On the middle of a sidewalk on Vancouver's downtown east side, a man is unconscious and struggling to breathe. Take some deep breaths. As in so many other cases, fentanyl is the likely culprit. The overdose epidemic is far worse and more deadly than even the most conservative of fever dreams about the consequences of legal weed. But with nothing else working right now, it's definitely worth exploring whether the same strategy might apply here. So last week, one Canadian city took the first step towards that. Out of Vancouver tonight, you're looking at a live shot of the Vancouver City Hall where just a few hours ago, the City Council unanimously approved a motion to decriminalize the possession of illicit drugs. If the federal government allows the exemption, it would make Vancouver the first jurisdiction in all of Canada to decriminalize drug possession. Will Vancouver's decriminalization exemption ever actually take effect? What would need to happen for it to work? What do we know? about decriminalization and its impact on both drug users and the communities they live in. What steps are still to come and how quickly and badly do we need this or something to work, considering where this crisis is headed? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Travis Lupick is a journalist and the author of Fighting for Space, How a Group of Drug Users Transformed One City's Struggle with Addiction. Hello, Travis. Hello. It sounds like you've got a little one in the background. Yeah, in another room, but it's a small house and we're all working from home these days. Oh, we are. Well, you might hear mine, but uh, in the meantime, uh, thank you for taking the time for us. No, happy to be here. Why don't you start, uh, just for for listeners around the country, tell me specifically what uh, Vancouver City Council voted to do last week. 
So they've voted to send a request to the federal government, which in Canada is where drug laws are, are regulated, where, where drugs are prohibited, where our Controlled Drugs and Substances Act exists. They sent a request to the federal government to issue what's called a Section 58 exemption. Um, that's the, um, an exemption that allows North America's first supervised injection facility, Insight, to operate without breaking the law. Insight opened in 2003, and it's a place where people bring drugs off the street and inject them there under the watchful care of nurses. And Insight exists without breaking the law because it, it receives an exemption from drug laws. Vancouver City Council's idea, now uh, you know, 17 years later in 2020, is to request from the federal government an exemption from our Controlled Drugs and Substances Act that, instead of existing over just one building, would exist over the entire city. So they're not actually re requesting a rewriting of any drug laws or anything like that. They're requesting a blanket or an umbrella exemption from drug laws that would exist over the city of Vancouver. What's the purpose behind that? What is it supposed to accomplish? So this request is for decriminalization, not full legalization. By which I mean um, we're not going to be regulating drug use, we're not going to be selling drugs, we're going to decriminalize drugs for personal use, small amounts for personal consumption. That means that if you, if you have a rock of cocaine on you or a small flap of heroin, uh, you're not going to go to prison. What authorities help, hope to accomplish with that is to bring drug use out in the open, remove stigma, and encourage people to ask for help with treatment, uh, to remove the revolving door of the criminal justice system when it comes to drug use, to treat drug use as a public health issue as opposed to a criminal justice issue. So I want to dig a little deeper on that and, and you know, how it will work and uh, the science behind it and what we've learned. But first, um, before we get to that, how bad has the overdose crisis uh, been this year before this happened? I know we've checked in a couple of times during the pandemic and the numbers have just uh, been heartbreaking. The overdose crisis is the entire context for this really groundbreaking request that Vancouver City Council has made. The city of Vancouver is the very worst affected jurisdiction in Canada by the opiate epidemic. Our deaths are higher per capita than any other region. We're on track to surpass 1,500 deaths for, our, for the single city this year, 2020. That's going to be an all-time high. But it's also around, uh, just a, it's only a little bit higher than where our, our number of overdose deaths have been for a number of years. A quote-unquote normal number of fatal overdoses for a city the size of Vancouver in Canada is about 200 deaths a year. And as I said, we're now at 1,500 a year. So... The overdose crisis has affected Vancouver terribly, and that's the context for this request for decriminalization. It is nuts to hear those numbers, um, especially if you were to compare them to how many people have died in co of COVID-19. And I know uh, that's not a fair comparison, but um, the numbers are staggering. It's not a, yeah, I agree. It's not a fair comparison, but it's also, you know, it's a comparison that people in Vancouver cannot help but make these days. Uh, COVID numbers in Canada are quite low compared to those of the United States. And meanwhile, we're seeing 1,500 deaths a year for just a single city, the city of Vancouver. Um, it's, it's shocking. So let's talk a bit about uh, specifics and, and what uh, and if this will change on the ground. So when, when we use the phrase decriminalize all drugs, um, what does that mean? Which drugs? Uh, is there a limit on how much of them? And, and what happens when users are found with them? Will the police uh, take them away but not charge them? Like how does it actually work? 
Well, these are great questions, and, and the devil will be in the details. These are questions that advocates for decriminalization, decriminalization in Vancouver are, have right at the front of their minds right now. There, there, are, there are significant concerns among advocates for decriminalization that authorities will replace criminal penalties, prison time, with civil penalties, such as fines. And people, in people who are poor, people who are stuck in long-term addiction will not be able to pay those fines, and then perhaps might be taken to jail for that. Advocates argue that if a, fine, if a system of fines is implemented in lieu of criminal charges, um, that would defeat the entire purpose of decriminalization. It would not bring people out in the open. It would keep them hiding their drug use. So what exactly this is going to look like um, is, is an open question, and there are big concerns about it. Who gets to decide in the end uh, what it looks like? So the city council has made this request to the federal government. Does does the government now come back with, okay, we'll exempt it, but only in X, Y, and Z condition? Or uh, do they issue the exemption and then council implements it? Yeah, again, excellent questions. Uh, the federal government has in the past attached conditions to these Section 58 exemptions from Canada's federal drug laws. Um, they've tacked on things like um, requirements of community consultation, good neighbor agreements, uh, uh, getting the uh, local, local police department to sign off on the plan. Um, the current Liberal government in, in uh, at the federal level in Canada uh, appears more open to these kinds of ideas. At the same time, the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has said that, that when it comes to hard drugs, his administration is against decriminalization. That was a, a more general blanket statement that was not in reference to this Section 58 exemption that Vancouver City Council is asking for, but the Prime Minister has said he's against decriminalization, so it will be interesting to see what his health minister does uh, when she receives this request from an exemption. Um, so, so the federal government has control over decisions related to this request. Uh, Vancouver City Council and the local police board um, is going to have a lot to say about it. This is not going to be a, a quick implement implementation. Uh, th there's going to be a lot of debate and uh, likely some controversy around what happens next. Well, let's talk about... Um the debate about, you know, these kind of policies in general uh, in, you know, the medical community and the advocacy community. Um, what is the case for them? Uh, and, you know, also, what are the downsides uh, according to opponents? Because I know uh, as much as this is something that has gained a lot of traction, it's not a universally uh, accepted uh, way of curbing uh, the overdose crisis. It's not, especially not across the entire country of Canada, but out west across uh, the province of British Columbia, home, home to the city of Vancouver. There is an impressive number of people who have spoken vocally in support uh, of this request to decriminalize. You have the city's top doctors, the city's top health officials, you have the mayor, you have the, uh, the premier, the leader of the province of British Columbia. Uh, you have uh, former officials who have dealt with this drug crisis in the past, and they've all lined up to vocally pledge their support uh, for for this request for decriminalization. Uh, the chief of police of Vancouver, and also the uh, um, a federal or a federal orga organization of all chiefs of police of Canada, uh, have similarly similarly said they support this request. That said, of course, there are opponents. Um, British Columbia's neighbor neighboring province of Alberta 
has a government that's quite hostile to this sort of idea. And as I mentioned, the Prime Minister, uh, the leader of the country himself, has said he's not a big fan. Pros and cons. Uh, Vancouver hopes to bring drug use out of the shadows. Uh, by removing criminal penalties, by decriminalizing drugs, they hope that this will allow authorities to treat the issue of addiction as a healthcare issue, to encourage people to speak openly about their struggles with drug use, to openly seek treatment and ask for help. Part of our overdose crisis is that people are dying alone. Uh, they're using drugs alone because of stigma, because drugs are criminalized. So they're using drugs alone where there's no one, no one to revive them, to catch them if they overdose, and that's resulting in a lot of deaths. Health officials in Vancouver have said they're hoping that with decriminalization, this will bring drug use out of the shadows, encourage people to not use drugs alone, encourage people to seek treatment, and hopefully reduce overdose deaths. Opponents, opponents have said decriminalization will obviously increase drug use. Now, there's actually very little evidence to uh, suggest that will occur. Um, decriminalization happened in Portugal nearly 20 years ago, and they did not see an increase in drug use. Uh, states that have legalized cannabis in, in the United States have have only seen very marginal increases in cannabis use, uh, if any. But that's the, the argument against decriminalization, that it will normalize drug use and increase drug use. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. In terms of what it would mean for uh, Vancouver in general... If this blanket exemption were to go into place, does that mean that there could be um, many, many more safe injection sites like Insights just because you wouldn't need a special exemption to open any of them up uh, within the city limits of Vancouver? Would that sort of just provide multiple times more, I guess, uh, places for people to use uh, where they wouldn't be alone? That's a very good question. Um, we're not sure what this is going to look like just yet. We're not going to sure how it's going to affect other regulations, such as those governing the opening and operations of supervised injection facilities. The city of Vancouver has already taken um, a very um, enthusiastic policy towards supervised injection, again, um, purely or, or primarily in response to the overdose crisis. Uh, Insight opened in 2003, the continent, and Vancouver's first injection site. In 2016, in response to the overdose crisis, Vancouver opened uh, a number of similar sites, uh, I think more than a dozen at this or sorry, I'm sorry, more than half a dozen at this point, and more than a, a dozen across the province. Um, so in response to the overdose crisis, Vancouver has already um, embraced harm reduction and supervised injection sites with some enthusiasm. I think you're probably right with decriminalization uh, if and when this comes to pass. Uh, you would see more designated areas uh, for drug use um, because that's kind of the idea, uh, as healthcare officials have said, bringing drug use out into the open. I want to ask you about the big picture, especially since it looks like the details uh, still have a ways to go. You know, you've reported uh, on the overdose crisis for a long time in Vancouver and, and elsewhere. How did you feel uh, when you heard this news? Like, how big of a deal was it to you? Is it one of those things where you remember where you were? Is this, is this a really big step, philosophically anyway, for Canada? 
this was a very big deal. It was a very big deal because the mayor of Vancouver was behind it, because the premier of British Columbia was behind it, and also because this is not a simple request for decriminalization. This is a detailed and well-thought-out pathway to decriminalize and remove criminal penalties for drugs. By requesting, by specifically requesting a, a Section 58 exemption, an exemption from the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act, uh, local politicians in Vancouver have gone to the federal government you know, with a specific plan. They haven't just said, change the drug laws or, or, or let, it, let everybody do drugs. Um, they've said, we have a mechanism that can make this a reality for the city of Vancouver. And so this policy proposal is very real and stands a good chance of implementation. So it's a big deal. Um, advocates for decriminalization, um, drug user advocacy groups uh, in Vancouver um, are not celebrating yet, but are speaking uh, with cautious optimism. Um, this could be a game changer for Vancouver's overdose crisis. What about just in terms of the worldwide tide turning in into how we approach uh, illegal drugs? You know, Vancouver did this um, there were a ton of results uh, in the recently completed American election, and, and almost all of them moved further towards decriminalizing drugs. Is this is this kind of a sea change that we're maybe at the beginning of? I believe it is. Uh, Keyword, as you said at the beginning of. Um, yeah. I've I've wondered if it's no coincidence that the Vancouver mayor's enthusiasm for decriminalization and this specific policy proposal came so soon after. Uh, the uh, vote in Oregon uh, to decriminalize drugs. You know, Oregon is just a little south of Vancouver, and earlier this month, um, its citizens voted to decriminalize personal possession of drugs. And then just a couple weeks later, you saw this policy proposal in Vancouver. Uh, This is a debate. The debate around decriminalization has been taking place in Vancouver for a number of years. But it's this month that we've seen local politicians really get serious about it and put something in writing. And I think uh, I agree with you. It is part of this sea change that we saw quite occur uh, in a quite pronounced fashion uh, with the U.S. federal election earlier this month. What has to happen now as this goes to the federal government to prevent it? And this is something that that I can see just from becoming a... Uh, a political hot potato. You know, you you can easily see. I mean, I, I mentioned in the intro uh, to this show that you know this is this is tenfold uh, what the divisiveness around legalizing pot was, and now you know two years later nobody even thinks about it. Um, but it's certainly something that until it's actually implemented and we see that the world doesn't end, can be you know lobbed as a political grenade from one side or the other. Yeah, and you're going to see a lot of politics played around this, um, you know, especially at the federal level where the conservative opposition to our liberal government uh, is dead set against this sort of plan. Um, but in selecting uh, a Section 58 exemption as the pathway towards decriminalization, I think I think local Vancouver politicians have made a smart play. It's actually quite a, a bureaucratic mechanism. Um, this request doesn't go to the pre- it doesn't go to the the prime minister. It doesn't go to politicians. It goes to uh, civil servants within the, the Ministry of Health. It, go, it goes uh, to our federal health department, and they go through the paperwork and they make a bureaucratic decision based on the merits of this request. 
So you're going to see a lot of politicking around it. You're going to see, you know, controversy played out at the federal level and the criticism of the liberal government as they weigh the pros and cons of this this request. But when it comes down to it, it it might be the bureaucrats and civil servants who really implement what could be a revolutionary change. Last question. What's it like... What's the reaction been like in the actual uh, drug user community and the people who work with these folks, you know, every day on the streets where people are dying right now? You know, I I can see that this is a a big deal for people who like to talk policy and like to look at, you know, the overall arc of this thing and getting it under control. But, you know, I would also imagine maybe there's some cynicism of like, okay, yeah, you know, talk to me in five years or whenever this actually happens. Have you heard anything from people on the front lines? For sure. Um, with 1,500 overdose deaths across British Columbia uh, every year, you you get a lot of cynicism. But this, this proposal has been greeted with cautious optimism. At the local level, the debate around decriminalization in Vancouver uh, has played out with the Vancouver Police Department saying, you know, we don't actually do a lot of possession busts anymore. Um, we, you know, we did de facto decriminalization uh, several years ago, uh, but then you talk to drug users and they say, yeah, we're not getting arrested for drugs, but we're being harassed by police every day. They're taking our stuff, they're throwing it on the ground, they're confiscating it, or, uh, you know, they're writing tickets for jaywalking uh, instead of making drug arrests. Um, so what drug users are asking for is, is um, what they're hoping this proposal will do is formalize decriminalization uh, give the Vancouver Police Department specific marching orders uh, just to stop their, with their harassment um, and truly decriminalize. Uh, it's a mix of cynicism and cautious optimism. Travis, thanks for explaining this to us. And uh, I hope we can talk again uh, when this policy gets a real chance. And I hope that won't be in two years. <laughs> I, mean, I hope so, too. Thank you so much for having me. Travis Lupik is the author of Fighting for Space, How a Group of Drug Users Transformed One City's Struggle with Addiction. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter, at TheBigStoryFPN. Find all of our shows, including The Hopeful, which just won Apple Podcasts' Canadian Show of the Year, at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com. And as always... All of our shows are in all your podcast players. Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, especially Apple, because we like them right now because they gave us an award. You know the rest. Go get them. Go listen to them. Subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.